is Student Activist Hub Radio. Uh, we are back. Uh, we were just talking with Kathy Sherwin, the communications director for the AFL-CIO. Um, and uh, now we and we were talking about the uh, rally against corporate greed that took place in Kerner Plaza in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, and um, there were other rallies, of course. There's, there's been other, uh, you know, protest and, and, and activism, um, you know, around labor issues in the state for the past week, and they will continue. Uh, and I believe there's another uh, rally that's coming up on April 3rd uh, or April 3rd or April 5th. Um, and, you know, there'll be more. We'll, I'm sure we'll devote some time talking about that. But mm-hmm. one thing we didn't really, we touched on a little with Kathy and we wanted to get into a little bit more was sort of the media coverage. And Adam wrote a, a post on uh, Activist Hub yeah. uh, discussing that. Yeah, um, it was pretty, um, I mean, there were some places that covered it, but overall it was really pretty amazingly disappointing. And um, I think any objective person comparing how the media did or did not cover this compared to how they covered the me- the the Tea Party, for example, um, would see that there's a pretty huge discrepancy um, in how willing they are to cover um, Tea Party events. So, so first of all, out of the three major um, TV news stations, um, KMOV, uh, which we talked about last week, uh, some of their um, right wing framing of a lot of things, they did not show up at all, um, even though I believe they're located not too far from the rally. Um, Fox two news had cameras there, but I didn't see any, um, any coverage of their stuff. So it might be that they do some kind of special report, uh, on the Jayco report later on or something, but, um, but they, um, but still you would think, you know, when 4,300 people show up, um, to fight for the working class, the middle class, uh, you would think that they would do a report on it, you know, at the 10 o'clock news because it, because it's a pretty major story. Um, and then KSDK, uh, was the only TV station that covered it. Um, so kudos to them for that. Um, but they did spend um, a chunk of their time talking to one guy who was standing across the street, apparently, yeah, in, I, in a, a suit and tie. Yeah, a former, I guess he was a former <laughs> state legislator. Yeah, John Loudon. He's, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a former state legislator. He's a guy who um, has been pushing for right to work for a long time. And so um, anyways, he, he stood across the street and they, they sort of did their typical... Oh, we'll Both we'll sides. give him half of the <laughs> half of the airtime, even though there's forty three hundred people on one side and he's the only person on the other side. So so it wasn't ideal from my perspective, especially considering when they cover the Tea Party rallies, they don't quote random people standing across the street from them. Um, but um, but hey, at least KSDK, you should be across the street. They can, I, they can I should, quote you in a suit. I'll dr- I'll make sure to dress up in a suit next time and, uh, and do that. But um. Okay, so th- so the, well, that and, was the TV station. Yeah, and well, I was and and on act on stlactivisthub.blogspot.com, you also wrote about the the newspapers. Now that yeah, and that was what I really wanted to yeah. <laughs> to dive into because um well the well the Beacon um did a great job there so they're the paperless newspaper I guess you could say and I think they they have pretty much established over the last year that they, I think on a lot of issues, they do a much better job than the Post-Dispatch, which should be the, the paper of record. Um, but, but what really, I mean, just blows my mind is that the St. Louis Post-Dispatch 
did not did cover not this cover at, all. at all. There, there was, was no yeah. blog post on. They have a blog called The Fix, and that's where Jake Wagman writes, and this, a few other people write there. Of course, political fix. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. the political fix. Um, there was nothing. It was absolutely nothing there, and it's not as you could say. Oh well, you know, we're talking. You know, look at Japan. Look at uh, Libya. All of there's so much competing. But if you go on their website, they're covering this very sort of. This is the t- the top story is sort of this very silly story about Claire McCaskill's plane. Oh, and, really? I didn't even notice that. But yeah. Yeah, it's well, I don't really want to give it attention too much attention. No, no, I mean I, I didn't notice that that was the story. That was they that were still w- highlighting that story still, yeah, instead still, of completely ignoring four thousand people yeah. in St. Louis coming together. And and I mean, what bothers me? So I went back and looked. Um, at some stories from the the post dispatch, and um, almost a year ago now, April fifteenth of last year, um, the Tea Party held a rally on Tax Day in Clayton. They had five hundred people show up, according to the police estimate, and the post dispatch wrote a full story about it, with complete with photographs and everything. Uh, I'm trying to go back and figure out if it was a front page story. I can't I can't tell just from the online version but it was a full story on 500 people um and it's not like the tea party was a new thing at april 15th last year they've been around for several years so it's not like you know you can justify it like oh there's this new exciting group no they've been around so so it's quite amazing that they're willing to give all of this attention to 500 people showing up uh, basically give them the full range of attention that they would normally give and they completely ignore 4,300 people, um, so that's, what, eight or nine times more, uh, and they just completely ignore it. And, and it's just, uh, it's really an, a frustrating pattern, and I, and I feel like um, the, the quality and the objectivity of the paper has gone down quite a bit lately. And um, I was very critical last year of their, their reporting on the race between Russ Carnahan and Ed Martin, where Jake Wagman was basically... Um, completely, you know, supportive of Ed Martin. You know, he, everything he wrote was framed in a way that would support Ed Martin or take cheap shots at Carnahan. Um, and I, I'm not just saying this from a subjective bias. I, I think I've documented pretty well how how yeah. poorly Wagman covered things compared to um, other more objective outlets. Um, but and, then, I, and the the Post Dispatch political editor. Yeah. One thing you pointed out. He had lessons from Dana Loesch. We all, you know, we've we've talked about here her on, uh, you know, student activist radio, and how she's a you know a beacon of, of objectivity. But he wanted to know how do I cover the Tea Party? You know, how can I give them a fair shot? And so he went to to Dana Loesch. You know, and so right. he, he, I mean, it was it was the dumbest thing. Ever. Like the Post Dispatch did a completely reasonable job reporting on a story and Dana Lash freaked out about it. And uh, Christopher Ave, the political director, like went on her to her show and talked about it. And he basically, I mean, he did to his credit, defended the Post-Dispatch, which he should have. But then he invited her to a conference the next weekend to like talk to journalists about how they should be covering the, the Tea Party. And this is after they already wrote a full page story on 500 people showing up. So so even even the fact that they're already way biased towards the Tea Party, they still had to be coached by Dana Lash on how to cover the Tea Party even more favorably to them. It, well, this is one thing that I'm just thinking about. I've been thinking about one of the, the 
this is, you know, Adam and I, especially Adam, has really emphasized the importance of media and the importance of covering events, you know, documenting what actually happened. There was a great uh, post on Show Me Progress, uh, which, you know, had video of the rally, which had pictures, uh, stuff that wasn't included in the news coverage. Uh, and, you know, a lot of a lot of times I hear in the progressive community that blogs are not very important. And it's true that, that people power is important and getting out is important. But the, the Tea Party, one of their, their great effectiveness is that they're on Twitter. They have radio stations. They have blogs. You know, they have all these people who work the refs. And it, it augments their influence and it augments their numbers. Whenever they yeah. do an action, they get a lot of attention and coverage. And in Wisconsin, as Kathy pointed out, We've had 100,000 people show up, 100,000 in a Midwestern capital hundreds of miles away from, from Washington, D.C., or, 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 you know, far away from any major city, for that matter. And the media isn't covering that at all, you know. No. People have really gotten engaged and involved, and the media isn't covering that. I believe that if we had, I mean, we have Rachel Maddow, Ed Schultz on the national level, but other than, you know, and, and there are some, um, uh, you know, outlets that are giving attention, but I believe that if we had a network of radio stations and we had a cable station, we would just, that would be wall-to-wall coverage. If we had that attention to drive the news media, we would, that, that, those types of numbers would just have totally shifted the debate and have moved away. But instead, it's sort of, you know, a lot of times you look back, I, when I look back on the Iraq war, on, on you, know, pro, you know, people who are advocating against, you know, Bush administration domestic policies, there's huge demonstrations, there's huge numbers of people getting involved and active. And you almost, you look at it in disbelief, you say, that many people oppose this? And it still got through? That many people made their voices heard? And you and it was sort of treated as though, oh, this isn't that, you know, this is sort of a partisan issue, but the American people aren't that engaged on it, mm-hmm. you know. Or even the Iraq war, well, the mo- most people believe it and the Democrats would be suicidal not to vote against it, even though hundreds of thousands of people made their voices heard and, and established a movement. So, you know, I guess in a roundabout way, you know, I think one of the, the things that this, the way the media has just completely dropped the ball it, it really gives a good case study for us to say this is why media is important for progressives and not just sending out a press release and saying, oh, come to our event and cover it, but actually documenting it for ourselves and yeah. establishing proper media venues to do that. Right, right. And, and I think that is just absolutely crucial because, you know, I wanted for a long time, I wanted to be optimistic about, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe people just aren't talking to the news outlets the right way or. Um, you know, maybe, um, maybe it's just the conservatives are louder on Twitter, but I think if you look at Wisconsin, I mean, there, the conservatives were not louder on Twitter on Wisconsin. I mean, the hashtag WI union was huge and it was progressive people talking about what was going on in Wisconsin and yet the media still ignored it. Um, and then, so, and then the post-dispatch, I don't know, I've just seen this this continual pattern. Um, I like their editorial board quite a bit. They do good things and, and they're, they're pretty insightful, but their reporting just does not live up to the bill. And I don't know whether it just happens to be their particular political director at the time uh, or whether they have other reasons. But I, I will say this um, is that if you want to know how the St. Louis ownership feels about 
unions uh, and about workers in general, um, it's pretty easy to see um, based on their treatment uh, of of their past workers. So um, there's a great blog post on Show Me Progress um, about um, a guy, Fred Jackson, who used to work at the Post-Dispatch. Um, and he was part of a group of employees who were offered early retirement by Lee Enterprises, the current owner, um, and they sent him a, a written agreement um, that asked, that told them, um, you know, if you retire now and you take these cuts or whatever, um, we will make sure that you have health care for the rest of your life. Your health care is covered for the rest of your life. So the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, or, or Lee Enterprises, I guess specifically, sent them this written agreement. Fred Jackson has uh, cancer, and he has payments that he is, um, you know, has to make through cancer. And uh, just in, the, I think it was December of last year, the Post-Dispatch now says, no, we're not going to pay your insurance coverage. You have to pay it out of your pensions. You know, that you have to pay for this money yourself. And basically, Fred Jackson is in a situation where there's no way he can afford, you know, all of these payments on his own to pay for his insurance, especially as someone who already has cancer. So, uh, and, and, you know, and the Newspaper Guild represents a lot of the employees at the Post-Dispatch, and they've been fighting this hard, and the Post and Lee Enterprises just basically says they don't care. You know, they don't, they don't really care about these workers. They're in it for a profit. And should so, issue a disclaimer. They're biased. Every every article they write about union representation. Well, I post dispatch. Right. <laughs> union I mean, busting. Think about it. Think about the 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 group that is supposed to be reporting objectively on these issues is a group that is exactly like the the critique of the sort of worst elements of Wall Street or in you know uh, big oil or whatever, where they'll do anything for a profit. And they don't really care about their workers. All they're in it is to try to squeeze out as much money as they can. And yet they're the people we're supposed to be trusting to sort of provide some sort of objective analysis of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. Maybe they put aside their belief. Certainly they let the editorial board say some things that they probably don't agree with. But at the same time, you have to wonder, are they really going to provide fair coverage of issues if, if they've got so much at stake in, you know, eking out that, that little pennies of profit that they can get for, for, for harming workers. Well, and I, the, I guess the model of the way the media, um, it, the way post-dispatch is structured provides a good transition for another model, non-for-profit and government-funded media, which is NPR, yeah. And during this week, um, we saw how that model of government um, has been working out for NPR with um, the James O'Keefe, who we, you know, I, this guy, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what to, to think about him because it's, I just find what he's doing very, dis well, let me first just make one point. He, he punked NPR. Uh, he set up a front group that had ties to the, that claimed to have ties to the Muslim Brotherhood and then scheduled a dinner with the chief fundraiser, uh, the vice president of development at NPR, Robert Schiller. And uh, in that dinner, he said that things about the Tea Party that were disparaging, uh, and that got him fired. Uh, he was, Of course, he was going to leave in May anyway. He had already announced he was going to leave in May of, of this year anyway, but he got fired a few months earlier because of his disparaging comments. Now, the first, the debate 
than the media has largely been about. And it's been very frustrating because the New York Times had this piece. They've been they've been being frustrating uh, for the past. They've been frustrating me for a little while. And they said on both sides, provocateurs, you know, act both sides, activists, you know, punk, you know, prov- provoke political debate or something like that. And they built this false equivalency of, you know, this guy who uh, called Governor Scott Walker and pretended that he was David Koch and then James O'Keefe. And they talked about the, the tactic of going undercover, you know, and whether or not that was good or not. And I actually think there's a separate question. You know, the tactic is important, but the other, you know, and I don't really, I personally don't have that much of an issue with the tactic of going undercover, but O'Keefe and his crew, Breitbart and, you know, a lot, Dana Loesch and a lot of the other people who support O'Keefe, they are very dishonest. I mean, even in this, of course, their other activities have been proven to be dishonest, which is why it's so frustrating how the media just sort of accepts the, this next video and not critiques it. And we now have the two hours footage that was released. Glenn Beck's website of all places, the blaze came out with a analysis of it. That was pretty good. I couldn't believe it. It was on Digby. Uh, it was on, it had, it had circulated across the bloggers fear, the progressive bloggers fear. And it was pretty even handed and said, basically, you know, they pointed out that, you know, the, one of the more egregious comments when he had said that the tea, the Republican party has been hijacked by a tea party, which is racist and Islamophobic, which the media said was such a bad thing. Um, it turned out that he was just quoting two Republicans. He wasn't speaking for himself. He was right. saying, Oh, I've been told this by two Republicans. Yeah. I mean, it could be true that he actually believed that, but, I mean, I don't actually think... But that's not the way to read That's comments. not the way... To, if I say someone told me that um, that uh, Russ Carnahan is a ninja, that doesn't mean that I believe that Russ Carnahan is a ninja. You know, if you, if you take the words literally, then he definitely wasn't saying he agrees with it. So, I mean, it, it was a blatant, blatant yeah. um, manipulation of the video in a way to present him badly and if they honestly believed that he agreed with it then why didn't they include the beginning part of the yeah, the statement exactly. in, their, in their edited video yeah. so, sorry i had to no 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 i, I mean that's no sorry. that's that's it was it was blatant and it was outrageous and npr and and adam and i were been talking about this throughout the week they you know they really in my view they reacted really sort of just stupidly I, there's no other word to put it uh, by firing Schiller. I mean, you could make the they've been coming out and saying, oh, well, we're under pressure from the Republicans trying to defund NPR. They but not only did they fire Schiller, but the board fired Vivian Schiller, another Robert Schiller. They also fired Vivian Schiller, who's the president of NPR and, and said she's bad. Now, no one could come up with a good reason why they fired her other than she fired Juan Williams. And that upset the Tea Party, too. But, you know, the. I, I, when I read in the, the New York Times, one of the NPR's chief lobbyists or the chief lobbyist for public radio said, you know, he was asked about this and he said, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. The people who are going to vote against us we're gonna vote, are going to vote against us. The people who are for us are going are to be for us anyway because most – this is a lot of – people don't really know this, but most government funding to NPR doesn't actually go to the corporate headquarters. In fact, they – you know, don't even need it. If you look at it, they could probably raise, I think, only about 10% of their personal funding from the government 
is covering their entire – they get 90% from private sources, so they can probably get that money from some other, some other way. It's actually local stations, particularly in rural areas that rely heavily on government funding. And so, you know, if you know those dynamics and you're not – that's why NPR survived George Bush. That's why Ronald Reagan never tried to cut it. That's why, you know, the Republicans – it's been funded through Republican administrations and Democratic administrations because most of it actually goes to rural areas where – you know, that's traditionally an area of Republican support. But besides that, to me, it's not only did it by firing her that it didn't really help NPR in any way because she was said to be a pretty good manager and really modernized the station. Uh, but it also, I think, sets a really bad precedent because now O'Keefe can basically go to any employee of NPR. I mean, basically, they went to somebody who wasn't involved in the news division at all someone who was the chief fundraiser and caught him saying something to try to raise money from NPR and did it in a dishonest way and he got fired. So now they can go to any employee that works for NPR, the production manager, you know, you know, the janitor and get them saying something that would be potentially embarrassing. And then they can lose their job and embarrass NPR this way. And this just seems to be very stupid because one of the points, well, and Adam, you could, you made this point is that the right wing isn't really interested in bringing objectivity and fairness to NPR. They've already said they want to destroy it. They want to destroy the network and they kind of want to destroy every, you know, news media outlet that's sort of the, the mainstream media like, you know, uh, New York Times and others. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of stupid to try to appease them by firing employees for no good. You know, if you don't really have a good reason for doing it anyway, just because you get like, 15 seconds in the hot seat and then you fire your employee as opposed to sit back and look and think about it, you know, now you have set a really bad precedent. Yeah. Uh, This is super nerdy of me, but it reminds me of this quote from Lord of the Rings where like uh, Aragon, I think said, uh, war is upon you, whether you will will it or not or something like that. And it's like, it's like uh, NPR, you know, there are people who've declared war on them and NPR is like still, you know, like dithering around. I mean, what Jay Rosen wrote a, a a article called, they brought a tote bag to a knife, you know, which was just another excellent sort of summary of, of, of their whole reaction. But I also wanted to mention, um, just going off of Kevin's point about how, um, it sets a bad precedent. I mean, that kind of action, NPR's reaction, gives so much credibility to James O'Keefe. It it builds him up as uh, it gives him the kind of credibility that the right wing cares about, and that the mainstream media will be more likely to put him on. I mean, imagine if um, if Acorn, if if Congress had waited until the full facts came out before they decided to defund Acorn, or imagine if. NPR had just waited an extra week or two weeks to get the full information. There's no way they would have fired Vivian Schiller yeah. if they found out that his this guy's quotes were taken completely out of context. So, so they react this way, and it's like a little head on a stake that James O'Keefe and Andrew Breitbart can claim as their own, and that gives them credibility. That means they're going to be more likely to be booked on CNN or other like outlets because it's like they've got this victory, and they don't. Like, if you look at the right-wing media, they don't care at all about truth or objectivity. What they care about is victories and demonstrating power. And so they care about, we took out this guy, and we took out that guy. And that's what gives them power and credibility. And by playing into this, by being so 
week on this issue. NPR is building them up and giving them more credibility where all they would have had to do is sort of, you know, take a more calm, rational approach, take a deep breath, say, oh, we're going to look, we're going to do a full investigation. We're going to make sure that the video wasn't edited, you know, like as any sane person you think would do after seeing what O'Keefe's done the last five years or whatever. Um, But, but they, they reacted immediately and, um, and they burned themselves uh, and they put themselves in a worse position for the future, as I think Kevin mentioned. Uh, And it's, it's hard to see what they, what they gained by reacting. So, so, yeah, it, it was mindlessly. It's, yeah, it, it was just very, very frustrating the way uh, that they treated this um, coverage. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, let's just go ahead and take a, a quick break, and then we can come back and finish out the rest of the show. We're back. This is Student Activist Hub Radio, and um, I'm your host, Kevin, with my co-host, Adam. Uh, and we're going to, to transition from the gloom and doom and, and talk about uh, the other gloom and doom. other gloom and doom that's going on. Not not in the media this time. It's, it's with your government. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about an issue that we haven't really spent that much time in St. Louis discussing, but something that I think should get some attention. And that's uh, the treatment of private first class Bradley Manning, uh, who, as many of our listeners know, uh, is been accused by the federal government, by the, the United States military, of handing over uh, the uh, thousands of doc, t- hundreds of thousands of documents that WikiLeaks received uh, and then published uh, on U.S. classified material that WikiLeaks received and then published, and it created an international furor. And um, of course, Julian Assange, the head of WikiLeaks, he's involved. You know, all those names sort of popping up again. Well, you know, one of Manning has sort of been forgotten about, but he's sitting in a brig in Quantico, Virginia, a military brig. And he uh, is a lot of people, his lawyer, uh, who's also, who's a, who's a JAG and who's uh, a member of the United States Armed Forces, is Bradley Manning's lawyer, uh, has been right, raising the alarm about the way he's been treated for the past couple of uh, weeks and Glenn Greenwald, who's also a constitutional lawyer uh, uh, in blogs at uh, Salon.com, uh, has highlighted these things, too, and has given his lawyer a good platform. And one of the things that has been most egregious that's come ab- out about his treatment is the fact that he is required to be stripped naked uh, in solitary confinement for 23 out of 24 hours a day. And for someone in the United States of America to be accused of something and then treated in this manner without their fair, without their day in court and against the uniform code of military justice, it really calls into question the way just, just the, the, the values of this country. You know, this, these are the types of activities that if the Iranian government or the Cuban government or the Chinese government, uh, were accused of doing people would throw up arms against, and unfortunately, this is the these this is the same type of, of thing that George W. Bush and his administration did, and you know many progressives, including myself, were very critical of the Bush administration, and it's just sad to see that this type of activity has is being repeated by the Obama administration, and 
at first, you know, and I don't know if you had been following the way that the blogosphere treated this. Glenn Greenwald, who, and fired, of course, Fire Dog Lake also, uh, they have been covering this too. Jane Hampshire at Fire Dog Lake um, actually uh, has driven down to Virginia, uh, to Quantico, Virginia, with one of Bradley Manning's good friends, and they've been the only people who have had contact with him outside of his lawyer. Right. Uh, and the media is just really not. I mean, they've sort of given it a little bit more attention these days, but before they weren't doing anything. Um, and uh, so those two have been covering it in the progressive blogosphere, but everyone, a lot of other people, had this very odd reaction to it and were very quick to defend the Obama administration and very quick to brush aside the accusations of impropriety. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of people even had this odd view that, oh, well, maybe Obama doesn't know about it. Maybe Barack Obama has no idea that his administration is carrying this out. And I, I you know, always give the president of the I, – I give President Obama a benefit of the doubt, you know, and try not to, you know, sometimes in the back of my mind and maybe privately with friends, I'll say, I really think that this is wrong and Obama's on the wrong path. But generally, you know, I give him the benefit of the doubt, and I believe he's doing the best that he can do in many circumstances, given the opposition and the media and all the institution of forces that are lined up against him. But on this issue, it's very hard to justify why you would have the treatment of Bradley Manning. And in fact, a member of the government, this spokesman for the State Department, P.J. Crowley, who's been a pretty stalwart, you know, spokesman and and critic of, of, of WikiLeaks, of course, that's what his job requires. He was at a closed door meeting at an MIT and one of Harvard has this program called Harvard University has this program called Neiman Neiman uh, uh, Institute, and one of their fellows asked him the question, "Oh, do you believe uh, that? What do you think about the treatment of Bradley Manning?" She was a journalist from Britain, and P.J. Crowley, State Department spokesman, said, "Oh, you know, I think it's horrible and it's stupid and it doesn't make sense." Something along those lines. Yeah. Well, you know, I believe today or yesterday, uh, he was fired. Uh, or he issued his resignation, but in Washington terms, he was fired uh, because he uh, spoke out, even in a private setting. I don't think he believed his comments would be recorded, spoke out on Bradley Manning. And so we now know, and of course, Jake Tapper at ABC News asked uh, about this, you know, to Barack Obama directly. And he said, which really frustrated me, he said, well, I think we're doing this for Manning's safety, you know, and it really... It seems so much against what Obama promised when he came into office to have a transparent government, to have an open government. You know, it really seems like the sort of, you know, rope-a-dope, the, the way the media has been treated, the rope-a-dope strategy and, and trying to cloak yourself with things like, oh, his privacy and we're trying to protect him mm. when you're doing a really egregious action. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I... <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think I probably am one of those people, uh, just to be honest, where I was really critical of the civil liberties violations that took place um, while George Bush was around. Um, and I think with Obama, you know, I'd sort of slowly, I keep, I keep hearing these things, you know, these little trickles about, well, he hasn't quite closed Guantanamo Bay yet, and... Um, you know, there are certain other practices that continue that that I think, you know, should be done away with. Um, and then this, you know, this issue just um, it just sort of um, really caught my attention, too, because 
um, the idea that you know a State Department spokesperson would be fired just for just for saying comments that were critical of the fact that this guy was is being treated really badly, and and even his comments were kind of were pretty mild. Like I think after after he said his comment though about it being you know horrible and unnecessary he says something like but he's still in the right place you know he still should be in jail you know so it's not like he was um it's not like he was completely undermining the administration or anything so i don't know i mean it just it is really frustrating where i mean it's hard to know exactly i mean i don't know i don't Greenwald has he met with Bradley Manning and that he kind of thing? he is not I don't he's never personally met with Bradley as far as I know he might have had conversations with him because he might I, have been able to talk with him but I don't think he's personally met but he has uh, Bradley Manning has a friend named David House who's a graduate student at MIT and he has been I believe other than Manning's lawyer and members of his fam- family House has been the only one who's been allowed to talk with, uh, oh, and there's a, but another point I wanted to make, the U, Bradley Manning is actually a British citizen. He's mother, he's a dual citizen of the United States and Britain, which gives Britain the right to look into abuses because he's a citizen. So the UN mm. rapporteur, the UN torture commission is actually investigating this. Oh, wow. Uh, to see, of course, no coverage from the media. In fact, I've heard on New Yorker that, it was a joke that they were doing that because they were, why aren't they investigating Libya? But regardless, um, mm. they're investigating, but that was just another point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the reason I was, what I mean, I suppose it's possible that their explanation is true that Bradley Manning, um, maybe he, I, I thought I had heard before that he was depressed or something. Well, he's know? on antidepressants. So, you know, so like, you know, maybe there are reasons to be worried about him trying to commit suicide, but it, it just still seems like such a stretch um, to say that you know he has to be kept naked twenty three hours out of twenty four a day. Yeah, um, and it it really does just seem like pretty inhumane treatment, and and it's hard to see what the what the value is or, or why why they're going to such lengths to to punish this guy who who, um, you know, shared information. I mean, you can, if you want to try him uh, in a court of law and convict him, that's fine. But but like Kevin was saying, it just it's sort of mind-boggling that they're, that they're treating him so badly. Um, and under a president that, that I would have expected would be a lot different than who would have behaved a lot differently than George Bush uh, on these issues. And, yeah. and it, it's not clear to me that he is. It seems like he's trying to kind of keep this tough guy image or something yeah that was my speculation that he he's worried about you know and this kind of i hate to to sluice everything together but this kind of reminds me of the way npr's reacting uh-huh. <laughs> i have a phrase i call it npr liberals uh maybe obama's an npr liberal but <laughs> set jokes aside um you know the fact and president obama not only has he done this but He's actually prosecuted whistleblowers pretty strongly. It's, it's, to me, this is sort of an odd split-brain mentality. On the one hand, everybody in the media says, 
there's nothing new. And Glenn Greenwald likes to capitalize. He likes to capitalize like every cliche that the media use. But he always ca- capitalizes. There's nothing new because that's what the media says over and over. And the Obama administration says the same thing. Nothing new in WikiLeaks. But on the other hand, you know, he's really coming down very hard on Manning. I mean, you could say he wants to set a precedent where no uh, whistleblowers will do such a thing again. But, you know, for somebody who leaked nothing new, you're charging him with the maximum sentence, which carries the death penalty for aiding the enemy. You're really saying you leak documents, which there's, quote, nothing new in. So therefore, we're going to put you to death. I mean, that's and, you know, his rationale, Bradley Manning's rationale for everything we know about him wasn't to try to harm the United States. He wasn't trying to do that. He was trying to expose wrongdoing that was committed by the United States government. The fact that, you know, 100,000 people were, you know, killed in Iraq, the military was aware of that, and they were lowballing the statistics. That came, they were lowballing the facts. We, they documented 100,000 people. The fact that the United States government pressured Spain into dropping a, a torture investigation under one of their citizens. You know, that was that's that's another, uh, you know, leak that came out of these documents that was exposed. The WikiLeaks documents exposed lots of improprieties. Glenn Greenwald uh, has documented uh, them over and over and over again to go against the nothing new meme. But nothing that came out of the documents, as far as I know, has led to any deaths of anyone, even though, uh, you know, the general uh, Richard Gates, um, Robert Gates, the secretary of defense said WikiLeaks has blood on their hands. That's actually not been proven by any facts. And no one in the media has has been able to assert that. So the treatment of Bradley Manning has been something that I've sort of watched. And, you know, it's it occur. It's really come to me, uh, you know, about last year, around this this time last year, that President Obama really had, for whatever reason, for reasons we don't know, we're not, we can't get into his head, but he really just decided to abandon his previous support of civil liberties and then just say, you know, I'm going to come up with the national security state. And so, um, you know, we might be able to get some clips up. Uh, Oh, okay. Um, He had abandoned his, uh, I guess, Obama has sort of decided for whatever reason I guess this sort of reminds me of the NPR activity uh, that in order to appear to be strong in the, the uh, national defense, he has to give, you know, he has to sort of appease the conservatives. He has to out Republican the Republicans on this issue. And he's really been doing a good job of out Republican, you know, being being more of a Republican, at least on civil liberties and national security than the Republicans. And it's sort of sad. I really hope that. Uh, you know, the administration turns around, you know, perhaps this media coverage and some of the pressure um, can turn around the administration and, and, you know, President Obama can go to his original position that he campaigned on of, of adhering to this nation's civil liberties and not mistreating and not and protecting whistleblowers. He campaigned on protecting whistleblowers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, you know, that's that's been a real point of disappointment for me. Um, and you know, I think it, it deserves some more attention. You're here. Um, well, I think that, um, about covers it for this week's show. Um, so we will be back next week, um, with the latest exciting news from the St. Louis area. Um, so 
thank you for tuning in. And uh, yeah, yeah. this is Adam and uh, my co-host Kevin, who normally says this part. Uh, but uh, see you guys next week. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good.